Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. All right, Acts chapter 16. What about those snowstorms that came, sort of? My app and my alert, they said that I was going to get eight inches twice this week at my house. And I wake up, and I didn't get any of that. I got maybe an inch. And, but what I did get was this nice headache uh, from what I found out was the pressure change that storms bring. How many of you guys get headaches from pressure change? Okay, cool. That's awesome. How many of you guys like change in general? Like you're just, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I hope today is totally different from yesterday. I hope that I have a different job. I hope that I have a different lifestyle. I hope that something exciting happens. Does anyone feel like that? I had a few people last night. They're like, yeah, I like that. I like change. Anyone here in this room? We got one, two, three, four, five. Okay, we got some more. So more than a handful than we did last night. But normally change is not something that's comfortable. Change is something that is uncomfortable. Uh, change is not something that we enjoy. It's not something that we tend to welcome with open arms. Sometimes change is expected. Most of the time, change is unexpected. And today, we're going to be looking at Paul going on his second missionary journey. We're actually going to be jumping into the very beginning of it. We're going to skip a few verses in the first part of chapter 16. But we're going to be looking at how Paul's missionary journey, his second one around, was changed pretty dramatically. It was changed in direction. It was changed in how he operated his ministry. He had kind of this way he liked to do ministry at different cities. And we're going to see how the Lord changed that. He forced him to be flexible. And we're also going to see at the very end of chapter 16 a change in circumstances. And I want to give you this preview to it because there's going to be quite a bit that we're going to be covering and we only have a little bit of time to do that. So I don't want you to feel like, oh man, I'm being rushed. I hope you go home and you reread this chapter because it's so full of the blessings. But enough talk, let's jump into it. Paul's second missionary journey is uh, going on from AD 49 to AD 52. Uh, he had this desired plan in, in, of travel and action. Uh, his first missionary journey, he went around preaching the gospel. He was able to establish different churches. This second time around, he desired to do uh, the similar thing, but he also wanted to go back to the churches he planted and encourage them. Uh, different changes that happened. His first missionary journey, he went with a guy by the name of Barnabas. We see at the end of chapter 15 that him and Barnabas had a hard split. They separated from one another over a guy by the name of John Mark. Barnabas and John Mark went one way. Paul took a guy by the name of Silas and went towards Lystra and Derby, which is found in chapter 16, 1 through 6. In Lystra, he picks up a pretty famous guy by the name, or a young man by the name of Timothy. You guys know who he is. He preps him for ministry. We won't go into details details on how he preps him for ministry. But starting in verse 6, he's ready to launch off into a new area. He just encouraged the churches of Lystra and Derby. These were churches he planted five years previous. He wanted to share with them new knowledge that they had established in the church in Jerusalem. And now he was ready to step out in faith in chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Pick up with me there, if you please. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
Therefore, sailing to Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. In verse 12, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city and that part of, Mas- of that part of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. We'll pause right there. Pick up with me back in verse 6. Almost immediately, we see that Paul had a desire to go to Asia. Now, this isn't Far East Asia. This isn't China. This is Asia Minor, so modern-day Turkey. He wanted to go to Turkey and spread the gospel. We see, though, that the Lord had a pretty strong uh, stop, I would say. He had a pretty strong, you can't go this direction. If you were thinking of it in terms of spiritual terms, I guess you could say he had a pretty strong slam of the closed door because he was forbidden. So he goes to Asia, he finds out that he can't go to Asia, so he goes to a new city called Bithynia, finds out in Bithynia that he's not permitted there, so he ends up in a place, option number three, he ends up in Troas. And I want to point out real quick, for us as believers, sometimes we get closed doors, and it's not exactly a comfortable feeling. You know, I, I know when I get a closed door, sometimes it's an excuse for me to stop. You know, for Paul, he, he could have said, okay, if I'm not going to Asia, then I guess the trip's over and my second missionary trip is done. But no, he decided to go to Bithynia. He ends up in Bithynia and he gets the same response, closed door. Another chance to say, well, I guess the trip ends here. But that's not how Paul reacts. He says, okay, if it's not Asia, if it's not Bithynia, then we're going to Troas. And for you and I, when we get closed doors, it's important to realize that it's, it's not a, okay, we're done, or it's not an excuse to be lazy. It's not an excuse to say, oh, it's over. It's, a, it's just a new direction. It's a rerouting of where you're going. You know, I was in uh, LA about a month and a half ago driving on the highway. And um, if you've ever driven in LA, there's a lot of different merge lanes. There's a lot of different highways. And I had my GPS on. I had it ready to go to my destination. And little did I know, because you're not allowed to hold your phone in California in a uh, new law that just passed this year, not allowed to even hold it. So I had my GPS sitting there on my phone, and I heard I had it plugged into the stereo system. I heard as I was passing a certain road, rerouting, redirecting, rerouting. And you know when you hear that, that you missed your turn. And for me, it took me a little bit because I was listening to something else because I had the radio on and my phone was going off and it wasn't actually plugged in the stereo because I wouldn't be able to listen to my radio. So I had my phone plugged in and it was telling me, hey, you missed your turn. You missed it. So we're going to reroute you and make sure you get to the right destination. So, you know, it gave me this alternate route to a different highway to merge off, to exit off on, to get back on. And it's just, it was just frustrating. And sometimes closed doors are like that. It's frustrating. Like I had a plan to go to Asia. I had a plan to make sure I I, I made it to this direction. This is what the Lord was leading me to do. You know, the first part of my missionary journey, and I'm speaking as Paul would, went off smoothly. In fact, I got to pick up a young man who loved the Lord in Lystra, in Derby. Everything was going as planned until I decided to go to Asia. And for you and I, it's important to realize that a closed door doesn't mean stop. A closed door doesn't mean you failed. A closed door just means you're going in a different direction than what you thought was planned. And for Paul, he not only had one, he had two. Sometimes you have two, sometimes you have three. But it's important not to stop. It's important not to say the, the spiritualizing, the spiritualization, uh, wow, I can't say that word. The spiritualizing of the word, I'm waiting on the Lord. Because sometimes I hear that a lot. I know it's an excuse I've used in the past. Oh, it's a closed door, so I'm just going to stop. But when people ask me, no, I'm just waiting on the Lord. And, you know, we think that in terms of, you know, waiting at the DMV. 
You know, you're waiting there, you got number 58 and they just got to number nine and you're just waiting, oh, I'm gonna wait here, I'm gonna wait for them to call my number. But you're just sitting there, you're not really doing anything, you're just waiting, maybe you're on your phone doing whatever. You know, or you're at the doctor's office and they keep calling everybody else's name but yours and you're like, that person came later, that person came after me, how are they getting to the doctor first? And sometimes we do that with the spiritual life. We say, you know, I'm just waiting on the Lord. But waiting on the Lord is not a passive action. It's an active one. You're continually seeking. You're continually knocking on those doors. You're continually going from door to door to door until you get to the one that the Lord has called you to. For Paul, he ends up at Troas. He didn't get stopped from going there. And in fact, Troas, um, as I did some more research, it's a port city. So Paul went to a city that he was ready to go anywhere the Lord might have him called to. So third time's a charm. He gets to Troas. And another fun fact for those of you who like to take notes, which I hope most of you do, we look in verse 10, pick up with me. It says, now after he had seen a vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. And we, speaking of uh, Timothy, Silas, and Paul, a colony, or excuse me, immediately we decided to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And as soon as he gets to Troas, it's not long that the Lord says, hey, this is exactly where you're going to go. You're not going to go to a, a new city on this continent. You're going to go to a whole new continent because Macedonia in ancient terms is today's modern day Europe. He was going to go across the sea to a whole new land. In fact, in verse 10, you also see that it says, we immediately decided, we sought to go to Macedonia. In verses 6, 7, and 8, it says, they had gone to Phrygia they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They had come to Mysia. They tried to go to Bithynia. They were not permitted. Uh, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. But in verse 10, it says, we sought to go to Macedonia. That's really key because the person who wrote this book, his name is Luke, Dr. Luke. And he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. It ends up that many people believe, and I agree with them, according to the commentaries and the different studies and research that's been done, that in Troas, that's where Paul picked up Luke, Dr. Luke. And in Troas, the unexpected blessing he had from the multiple closed doors was that the Lord was actually preparing him with a new partner for this trip, for this journey. Because like many of you know, those who study the Bible, you know that Paul was always ready for a beatdown. So it would be good to have a personal doctor with him. We're gonna find that out later in this chapter even so. But Sometimes when you're told not to go somewhere, when you get a door slammed in your face, when it's a forbidden, you can't go here, it's not an excuse to stop. It just means keep going because the Lord has a plan. You know, the Lord's still the director. You know, Proverbs uh, 16, verse 9, you can write it, jot it down. It says that man plans his way, but the Lord directs his... Okay, one more time. The, <laughs> man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And it's so important to remember that the Lord is the one that's the director of our lives. When we forget that, we get discouraged. You know, the doors that close on us discourage us. The multiple doors that close on us might frustrate us. But if, remember, if we remember that it's all part of God's plan, it's okay. And you never know what kind of an unexpected blessing you might have. You never know if you're picking up a loop to take on your journey. Hopefully not for beatdowns, but hopefully for ministry partners. Uh, a ministry relationship. If you would pick up with me in verse uh, 13. Paul had this uh, 
kind of this custom that he would do when he got to cities. He would go to a big one, and he would look for the synagogue on a Sabbath, which would be Saturday. It was the Jewish Sabbath. It would be where men would gather together to talk about the things of the Lord. He would go to the synagogue, and he would preach the gospel. He would preach the gospel in hopes that people, he would see salvations, and from there he'd be able to establish a church from that group. And for him, he gets to Philippi, as we see in verse 12, which was the foremost city in Macedonia. And he's kind of going with the same idea, okay? On a Sabbath in verse 13, as we're going to see, he's looking for a synagogue. So pick up with me in verse 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she had heard and her, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Okay, so we see that in the first beginning of this missionary journey, Paul had a few changes, right? He had a change of personnel, the change of the people that went with him. Barnabas wasn't with him. Instead, he got a new guy named Silas. He has Timothy. He now has Luke. He gets to Philippi, and he's ready to start his ministry. And, you know, I'm sure he was planning in his mind, well, it's going to be similar to the first trip. I'm going to look for a synagogue, and the Lord blessed that. He blessed the way I did it before, so why wouldn't he bless it this time? He goes to Philippi, and he ends up finding out that there's not a synagogue there. He ends up going to the river because that's where prayer is happening. So he's going where the people are. When he gets to the river, he finds out that he not only doesn't find any men there, but it's just a group of women serving the Lord. And I want to pause here too because this struck me as I was studying. Just as a word for men, we have to make sure that we are the spiritual leaders in our homes. Uh, we have to make sure we're the spiritual leaders in our workplaces, in our relationships, uh, that's the role that God has given us to lead. For you ladies, stay faithful. It says in 1 Peter 3, for those of you who have unbelieving husbands, that you can win them over by your conduct, that you might win them over by your conduct. And for Paul, he found a group of faithful women serving the Lord, praying together, who worshiped God, and he shared with them whether it was a deeper understanding of the God they worshiped, because it doesn't tell us directly that they believed in Jesus. They believed in one God. Uh, they were monotheistic. They weren't polytheistic like the Roman days where they believed in multiple gods. They were a group of women praying to one God. He shared with them what he shared, and it caused them to have a desire to be baptized. And like many of you know, being baptized is an outward showing of an inward work. So whatever, they, whatever Paul was sharing with them stirred them up to show that, yes, I'm a believer in Christ. And for us, I hope that we take that as an opportunity to be bold with our faith. Because you never know if someone who, who you might meet at the workplace, you never know if someone who you might, maybe your neighbor, who, yes, they believe that there is a higher power. And they believe that, yeah, there's no way that we could have just come out of nothing. But they don't know that the Savior they need is Jesus. And maybe the Lord is bringing you into their lives to bring that clarity, to bring that fire. From that, we see Lydia. She uh, has this desire of hospitality, to, offers them to stay, unexpected blessing number two. Yes, he didn't have a synagogue, but no, he found a group of fellowship that he was able to share and he was able to strengthen and grow. Not only that, Lydia was a seller of purple, so she had status because she was a wealthy woman. A seller of purple in the day was someone who sold to uh, royalty or high wealth because purple, it was very rare uh, to get that color in cotton. They had a, there was a whole process where they had to find a, a 
a shell-like fish in a certain sea that they would die and break the ink that was in this fish and they would dye this clothing. And so Lydia had this, um, this, (laughs) excuse me, she had this part of her that was of influence. Not only that, in Revelation, we will find out that Thyatira actually has a church in it uh, because they get a letter written to them. And some believe that Lydia was the one that started that. So from this, we already see the Lord blessing. If you pick up in verse 16, this is where things get a little interesting. We're going to see a change in circumstance for Paul. It says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. I want to pause there real quick because this is not something that's normal. Um, In the Bible, it's pretty normal. We, We read it a lot, but I don't want it to... I don't want to brush over how important and how powerful this is. Uh, Paul was heading to prayer. He was heading to fellowship. It was like you coming to church today. And on his way to church, he found out that he had a slave girl that was demon-possessed following him. That's a pretty big deal. If you're walking from the parking lot into the building today and you had someone that was demon-possessed following you, it would strike you as a surprise, I would hope. If not, I'd love to meet you because (laughs) you probably have a pretty crazy life. So... He has this girl that's following him that is uh, um, possessed by a spirit, but she's also being used for profit. Fortune telling, you know, you could equate that today to horoscopes or tarot cards or, you know, Ouija boards, whatever you might want to do. is demonic. She's being used. But this is where it gets interesting. In verse 17, not that it not already is interesting. It's very interesting. But in verse 17, it says, The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them, and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore their, off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So not only was this girl demon-possessed, but she was actually saying truthful things. We see in verse 17 that she was actually proclaiming things that were true. It wasn't some weird, you know, don't listen to these guys. These guys are false. It wasn't some type of harassment, but she was actually speaking the truth. It says she was saying, these men are servants of the most high God, which is true, who proclaimed to us the way of salvation, which was also true. Now, it comes a few days where Paul finally gets grieved. Some of your translations will say he was annoyed, and he finally just turns around and calls the spirit out. Now, some people say, well, you know why Paul got arrested? You know why they got arrested? It was because he got annoyed. He let his flesh flare up. And I'm going to say that's not true. What happened was what Jesus often did when he was doing ministry. Because if you remember, Jesus also told a demon, don't proclaim who I am. Instead, go into the herd of swine. The demons went in that herd of swine. They all jumped off the side of the cliff. (laughs) The pig herders were upset. Everything happened. For Paul, he turns around, grieved, upset, not because of what she was saying, but because truth was coming out of the wrong mouthpiece. 
truth was coming out of the wrong mouthpiece, which was diluting the power that they truly had. Because yes, they were men of God. Yes, they were speaking salvation. But when it comes out of a demon, it doesn't come out right. It doesn't come out in the way it should. Oftentimes the enemy is going to try to befriend you or to try to slip in with you before he outright attacks you. So this demon-possessed girl was slowly walking with them. She was a, a part of the group, proclaiming who they were as if she was someone that was able to be with them, which isn't correct. So as soon as Paul decides, no, this isn't right. We're separating ourselves from this person. I'm going to save this demon-possessed girl. I'm going to deliver her from this demon in the power of Jesus. Then we see it's an open war. Satan changes tactics. Okay, if I can't walk alongside you, if you're not okay with this kind of compromise in your life, then it's going to be an open war. We see they're dragged before the magistrates. They're dragged before the authorities. The, you can say it was a multitude, but I would say it was a mob. They rise up upset because they're different. You know, the lies and excuses. They're teaching us that aren't right for Romans. What those guys didn't know is that Paul and Silas were actually Roman citizens. So that excuse wasn't true. Somehow, though, we don't see that Paul or Silas had a chance to speak up. Because if they did, I have a feeling that Paul would just preach the gospel. Because that's usually what he did. But we don't see that they have a chance to speak up. Instead, we see that they're sent to prison. Not just prison, but they're sent to an inner prison. Which prisons back then, Roman prisons, were set up in two ways. There was an outer prison that received light. Uh, it was kind of a normal, I can't say normal prison, but it was a prison that you actually had light. It wasn't where all the worst criminals were. And then there was an inner prison, which was where sewage went through. It was dark. There was no light. It was the worst of the worst. On top of that, not only are they supposed to be in this inner prison, but they're supposed to be kept secure so they get stocks on their feet. So they can't move. Now, talk about change of circumstance. Talk about change of direction. Talk about change of everything planned. I don't think Paul, going into the second missionary journey, was expecting this to happen. Yes, he was thrown out of a few cities and beaten before in his first missionary journey, but I don't think he was hoping for the same outcome this journey. I think he desired to share the gospel. I think he desired to deliver people from demons. I think he desired to see salvations, to plant churches. And I think he was okay with whatever might happen but I don't think he was hoping on his list of things to do on my second missionary journey, encourage the churches, share the gospel, see salvations, plant more churches, and continue on, and then at the very bottom, get beat, thrown into prison, and left alone. I don't think that was on his list. And the reason I don't think that is because many of us today, the same thing, we don't wake up in the morning saying, I can't wait for the worst day of my life to happen today for Jesus. I can't wait to get beat at work. I can't wait to be ostracized by my family. I can't wait to be hated on by the world. I can't wait to be, feel the pressures of this culture. I can't wait for that. This is, yeah, what a day. It's like my birthday. It's so many gifts. You know, we don't think in those terms. That's not how we move. And again, if that is how you think, that's exciting. I want to meet you. Um, but usually that's not how we live life. We do expect trials because we're told to. Uh, we do know that trials come in our lives as believers because they're to build our character, to build our patience. We find that out in the epistles. We do expect uh, hardships because Jesus said they're going to hate you because they hated me. But I don't think we expect some of the worst things. I don't think we wake up in the morning every morning expecting the worst to happen. For Paul and, and Silas, although he's gone through this before, I don't think he was expecting after delivering a girl from demon possession that he was going to be thrown in prison later that night. 
but he was. Pick up with me in verse 25. And this is what I love. It reminded me of the song that Ian uh, shared during worship. It says, but at, the midnight, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Pause there real quick. At midnight, when things are quiet, Paul was singing hymns and praises to God. Now, I don't see, or excuse me, Paul and Silas. And it says that the prisoners were listening uh, to them. That's an amazing place to be. I put in my notes that Paul was stinging and singing because just earlier that night, he was, or that day, he was beaten to a pulp. You know, the, what they said when he was hit with those rods, uh, some commentators say that it's the same verbiage that was used when Jesus was beat with rods before the crucifixion. Uh, they say that he was beaten to a point of almost death. And some believe that Paul and Silas went through the same beatdown. And yet, here they are, stinging with their backs. Just imagine a bloody pulp mess, weakened, feeling as horrible as you possibly can. Who knows what kind of rats, the smell, whatever they were feeling, like the, just the uncleanliness of the prison that they were in. And yet, at the midnight hour, at the middle of night, they were able to get up and sing hymns and praises to God. I love that. I love it because it shows us that although our circumstances change, And although our emotions will change with our circumstances, that's not what's happening for Paul and Silas. What's happening for them is they are founded on truth. They're singing out of the joy of their heart because that joy is founded on truth, not their circumstance. You know, because happiness and sadness, it comes and goes. You know, when you're happy, you're happy because of a circumstance. Yes, I just got a raise. Yes, I uh, just scored tickets to baseball game. Whoops. Yes, you know, my... (laughs) excuse me. I just had a bonus just that came in. I got another raise. I had, you know, so many things just happen. It's so great. And then something sad happens in a circumstance, whatever, whatever it is, you just get bummed out. You're just depressed. Like, no, no, I didn't want that to happen today. I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want my family to get mad at me because I shared the gospel again. You know, I didn't want to be not invited to the family reunion. I did not want to lose out on the friendships that I've had since I was a kid because I got saved or because I don't go out to the bars and drink anymore. Like, what, like, that's a bummer. But for Paul and for Silas, they were founded in something so much deeper than just emotions and circumstance. They were founded in the joy of the Lord. And like we read in the Psalm today, it's Psalm 27. While they were waiting on the Lord as they're seeking and I'm sure thinking of who God is and the promises that they have in the word, they were strengthened. In Psalm 27, verse 14, it says, you'll find strength when you wait on the Lord. While they're sitting there waiting, seeking the things of God, they burst out into singing. And for guys who so far have had the whole direction of their mission trip changed, door after door closed, beaten for delivering someone from a demon, thrown into prison, sitting there to have a joy come out of them, I hope that's our heart too, church. I hope that we understand our relationship with God to a point where we trust Him with the circumstance that we're in. That we know that He still has a plan, that He's still the director, that in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says that He has a hope and a future for us, it says in Hebrews 12 that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. It says in Luke 11 that he's a heavenly father with good gifts. I hope that we remember that when the circumstances change so that we're not identified by our emotions, we're not identified by the ups and downs of life, but we're identified by the truth. And that truth is we have a joy in the Lord that will never go away besides the circumstance. And that, I think, is so key because 
look what happens in the next verse. I'm excited because it, crazy stuff happens when you love the Lord, especially for Paul and Silas in this chapter. It says in verse 26, pick up with me, suddenly there was a great earthquake. Now this was not a normal earthquake, as we'll see. It says, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Again, we'll pause right there. This earthquake was not normal because the foundation of the building was shaken and every single door was open and the individual chains were loosed. When you think about that, like an earthquake, a foundation of a building shaking, it falls apart. You know, it's funny that every single door in the prison was open because so far in a spiritual sense, Paul and Silas have had only closed doors or a change in direction. Yet, here in the prison, every single door was open. Their chains were loosed. Pick up with me in verse 28. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, or excuse me, in verse 27, and the keeper of the prison, awakening from his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house or in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. So we see that the earthquake came, it released everybody. And if you're like me, and I hope some of you are, you would say, this is from the Lord. I can leave. The doors are open. It's about time. Praise him. But if you're like Paul and Silas, you're probably super in tune with the Spirit and you're just done singing praises and joy, and you know that an open door, although they're open and wide, your chains are loosed, the Lord called you into that prison for a specific moment. The Lord called you into that circumstance because he wants you there. You know, when times get hard, it's not a reason for us to just run, especially as believers, especially with the foundation that we have in the word, especially in the foundation we have in our relationship with the Lord. Although it was an open door, although it was a yes, we can just get out of here as fast as we can. It was obviously a spiritual earthquake. It wasn't a normal earthquake. It was an earthquake from the Lord. It's not a yes, go ahead and leave. It's not permission just to go when times get hard. Paul waited because he understood that he was called there for a purpose. And that purpose was for a jailer. A jailer who we see was ready to kill himself. A jailer who we see was ready to commit suicide. He was not like Paul and Silas where they were beaten down physically. He was beaten down by the circumstances in his life. He was beaten down by the things that he knew were coming. The charge for a a Roman guard, if you let one of your prisoners escape, you were going to get what they deserved. For this Roman guard, I'm sure he knew in his mind that he was in for death. I'm sure just one of those prisoners besides Paul and Silas in that Roman prison deserved death. He came to a point in his life where he was overwhelmed by his circumstance. He was overwhelmed by what was going to happen to him. He was overwhelmed by the the situation to where he was ready to take his life. And for those listening on the radio or for those watching online or or here in this church, I just want to let you know that 
if you're thinking about that, if you're thinking about taking your life because you're overwhelmed by the circumstances in life today, I want to encourage you that's not the answer. The Lord has a plan for your life. The Lord desires to have fellowship with you. There's nothing that you're going through right now that can't be overcome by the cross, by what Christ has done for you. And I really want to encourage you to come up after service and talk with one of us, whether myself, one of the other pastors, one of the prayer team, because suicide is not something to be ignored. It's something that's very real. As we see with the Philippian jailer, he was ready to take his life. But Paul, knowing he was there for a purpose, yells out and says, don't, stop, don't harm yourself. We're all still here, all of us. Now, I don't know what the Lord did to keep all the prisoners in that prison, but he did something to where no one left. We obviously see it was really dark because the jailer had to call in for lights, so maybe they just couldn't see their way out. Who knows what was going on, but the Lord had something planned for this jailer. Not only that, I want to bring a side note. Sometimes our lives get shaken, church. Sometimes we're shaken. It may not be a, a literal earthquake like what happened here, but sometimes things happen in our lives, whether it's a closed door or something unexpected, where our lives are shaken to the core. And people want to see how you deal with adversity. Because some people think, well, it's easy to be a Christian when your life's going smooth. I mean, you have a great life. Your, your family's intact. You know, your, your, your kids are great. You know, everything's going so smooth. You have a good job. But, you know, it's, you, it's easy to say you're a Christian when life's good. And what they don't realize is that we're just like them. We go through the same struggles. It says in Matthew that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, which means that life is just, is going to happen no matter what because of sin. And for you and I as a believer, people are watching us when we go through adversity. People are watching us when our world is shaken to the core. And how we respond. Are we going to respond like Paul and Silas? Or are we going to respond like the Philippine jailer with no hope? I love that song because it says uh, hope is the anthem or the anchor um, that we were singing earlier. We get that song in the night. And that's like a perfect psalm, I think, based out of the scripture. Because for Paul and Silas, they had this hope, knowing that although they were beaten to a core, I have a feeling they remembered Isaiah 54, 17. If you would, turn there with me because we haven't really turned anywhere today. I'm pretty sure Paul was aware because before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was a study, uh, he was a man of the word, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, had the word, the knowledge of the word, but had no relationship. And in Z- Isaiah 54, verse 17, let me get there real quick with you. It's a powerful verse that I think we should tuck away for future uh, use in our own lives when we come against circumstances that are just too much for us. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. For Paul and Silas, although they've been beaten, although they, you know, like, that's kind of a weird verse to have on their minds. Like, they just literally had a weapon against them. And it was pretty successful on their backs. But not on their hearts. Not on their relationship with the Lord. It didn't weaken them, it strengthened them. The stinging that they were feeling inspired them to sing praises to the Lord. And for you and I, I hope that does the same thing. But back to the Philippian jailer. Not only does he come to a place of where his circumstances are overwhelming him, Paul steps in and says, hey, we're all here. Don't harm yourself. And he comes to his overwhelming thought, okay, then what must I do to be saved? And I don't know if he was just thinking physically, like what, am I, what, what do I need to do to make sure that I don't lose my life? Or maybe he was listening to Paul and Silas in the prison. It says he was asleep. And he woke up. I'm surprised that he didn't just hear them all night singing praises to God. Because it said the other prisoners were listening. 
But he comes to this point in his life, he says, what do I need to do to be saved? The Lord allowed him to come to this place of brokenness. But he didn't just leave him alone in his brokenness. He brought Paul and Silas to rescue him out of his brokenness. They say, you need to believe on Jesus Christ. Not only that, Paul says, when you believe on him, you and your whole household is going to get saved. Some people like to say this verse says, if you get saved, that means your whole household will get saved. That's not what Paul's saying. I think he's speaking prophetically because we do see that later, as Paul preaches the gospel to his whole household, they all get saved. Not only that, they all get baptized, which is an outward profession of what's going on inside. For you and I, we're called to certain places for certain times because the Lord has put us in those circumstances. And it's important not to forget that closed doors lead to exactly where God desires us to be. It leads us to exactly where God wants us to be. It's easy to get caught up in the circumstances of life. It's easy to go up and down. It's easy to be happy. It's easy to be sad. It's easy to change with the weather like Colorado. But it's more important to remember our foundation is in the Lord. Our foundation is in that relationship we have. It's easy to have a closed door and go in a new direction when you trust the one who's calling you to that new direction, right? I mean, it's a lot harder to, how many of you guys have gone, um, like have jumped off a cliff with a bungee cord? Has anyone done that here? Has anyone gone to like Six Flags and like jumped off of, okay, a few people. That's the most scary, exhilarating thing in my life. And I would hate to do it if I didn't trust the guy who was strapping me in. If I didn't trust that all those cables were gonna work when I jumped. And when we have closed doors, it's an uneasy feeling. Like, where am I gonna go? But you know what? You have a security in Christ when your relationship with the Lord is strengthened. When you're continually seeking him. When you're waiting on the Lord, when that actually means you're seeking him continually in prayer and in the word. When you have that foundation solidified, the Lord's going to bless your stepping out in faith. And it's a lot easier to take that step in trust, knowing that the Lord who called you is the one who's directing you and guiding you. Church, if you don't have that strong relationship, if you're not working at it each day, if you're not communing with the Lord, those closed doors are going to affect your life. They're going to change your emotional roller coaster. You're going to forget the foundation that you have available to you in the Word. You're not going to be as productive or fruitful as Paul and Silas were. You're not going to be at the right place at the right time if you're not taking that step of faith, knowing that God is the one calling you to do that. If your missionary journey ends after being forbidden to go to Asia, you'll never meet the Philippian jailer in your life. I want to encourage you that we have this open and available to us if we just take it. I want, I want you guys to understand the, the importance of, of trusting in God so that when these things happen, because they do, they happen all the time, we're able to take that step in faith and move forward with the Lord. And as we move forward with the Lord, he's gonna bless those steps. Yes, there's gonna be trials. Yes, there's gonna be beatdowns. But you're gonna be exactly where the Lord has called you to be for that person or people, that household. That's where Paul and Silas were today. If you want, I really encourage you to continue reading chapter 16. Uh, this is where I plan to stop. But in Isaiah 54, 17, it says that you will be able to condemn those who persecute you. At the end of chapter 16, Paul and Silas are going to have an opportunity to condemn those who sent them to prison. 
And I encourage you for your homework today to go home and finish the chapter. And if you want to, you can even finish the first six verses. But I want to leave you with this. It's time to trust God in a deeper way, church, so that we can be used when he calls us out. We can be used when those closed doors come to us so that we can go from closed door to closed door to the Troas city and be called to wherever God wants us to be for opportunities like the Philippine jailer and that demon-possessed girl. Who knows what kind of life change she had? How amazing would that be to be delivered? It doesn't tell us anything more except that her slave owners were really upset with Paul, but she no longer had a demon. She was no longer under the condemnation of the enemy. And the Lord wants to use you guys in the worlds that you're involved in, whether it's your workplace, your family life, your neighborhood, to free those who are like the Philippine jailer under the circumstances of life and like that demon-possessed girl, maybe even quite literally, rescue them with the hope of Jesus that you and I have. But we'll never get there unless we trust the Lord. So let's leave trust in the Lord today. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I just thank you so much for the time in your word today. I thank you that we got to study it. I thank you that we got to look at it. I thank you for the example that Paul and Silas were, Lord, as I know that it would be so hard to sing without that foundation in you, without knowing that that was where you desired us to be, Lord, if we put ourselves in the place of Paul and Silas. Lord, I know it would be difficult to have closed doors. It is difficult to see those, but it's so much easier when we have a trust and a foundation in you. I pray, Lord, that over all of us today, and myself included, that you would strengthen our foundation in you, that we trust you to a point that we wouldn't just say it with our lips, Lord, but when those actions come, we'd show it with our lives that we trust you, no matter the circumstance, no matter the, the craziness that has entered our lives, no matter the attack of the enemy, that we'd be able to be singing while we're stinging, that we'd be able to sing for you, remembering the joy that we have in your son. Now, this morning, I wanna give this opportunity for some of you you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you are desiring something more than, than what's going on in your life. And you may be like the Philippian jailer. You may be just overwhelmed right now with the circumstances of life. You may be even contemplating suicide or thought about it. And I wanna give you an opportunity today, this morning, just like the Philippian jailer had that night, because it said in the same hour, he took Paul and Silas home and washed them of their stripes. And right now, this hour, the Lord wants to wash you clean. He wants to give you an opportunity to walk in the glory and the joy of his salvation. So if that's you, if you felt that, I would love for you to come up to the stage afterwards and talk to either myself or one of the other pastors or someone on the prayer team because we want to lead you into that relationship. If that's you right now, I want you to stand so I can pray with you. I want to see that you can make a public proclamation for the Lord. It says if you make that public proclamation for the Lord out of your lips, the Lord's gonna, uh, Jesus is gonna proclaim you in front of his Father. And it's so important that if that's you today, I wanna make sure you don't leave this room with that condemnation, with that overwhelming feeling. I wanna make sure you get to leave with the joy of the Lord, like so many that get to leave out of church today. Lord, I thank you that we do have this opportunity come together and worship you. And I pray, Lord, as we head out, that your hand will be upon us. I pray, Lord, that if you're stirring someone in their heart right now, Lord, they know that they're not right with you. I pray that you would compel them to come up to this stage and, and talk to one of us afterwards. I pray, Lord, for each believer here in this room, that you would strengthen us in our faith with you, 
so that no matter the circumstance, we'd be ready for what you've called us to be. We'd be ready for what you've called us to do. And we'd be ready to serve and honor you, Lord, through our lives. Lord, that we'd be able to sing while we're beaten down. We'd be able to stand strong while our world's shaken. But more importantly, Lord, we'd be able to continue to move for you even though the doors close. We'd be available for your work, God. Bless as we head out. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.